0: Shall we pray? Let's pray. We thank you that we can know the name of our God, that he is the creator of heaven and earth. We thank you that we can sing the praise of our God, that although we ran, although we hid, although we turned away from him, he reached out to us in Christ Jesus we can sing the praise of him who died our death. We thank you that we can praise the name of our God who overcame the death of your Christ and in defeating the most unjust of deaths, rescues us from our deserved fate. We thank you that we can praise the Holy Spirit that rose Christ from the grave and raises us all up to eternal abundant life in you building your kingdom. And Father God, we pray that New Zealand will be refreshed. Amen. Because we can pray glorious and soaring prayers and we can also pray for the mundane. Not that the World Cup is mundane. One wicket down, guys. New Zealand have lost a wicket. <laughs> I'm, just, you know, I'm not allowed to say... My dad, it, my dad has lived in New Zealand for about 20 years now. I've been getting messages all the way through this morning about various bits of New Zealand trivia and how much they're going to win, so um, I'm a little bit invested in this one. Um today, as you're a visitor here, I'm, um, we're coming to the end of a series. We've been talking about why we sing praises to God. Why, we, why do we sing in church? It's a weird thing, isn't it, that we gather we to death, we all stand up at the same time, and we sing words from a book or on the screen. It's a bit strange. And we've explored how it's about the fact that we restore our soul, that we remind our souls and our hearts of truths. That God has the victory. That God has defeated death through Jesus Christ. That he gives us new life. We remind ourselves of those stories that we might know intellectually. We might know in our mind, but we remind our hearts and souls in song. And we do it also because the Bible tells us to. Again and again and again. Sing to the Lord, it says. Um, from next Sunday, because we're done into the summer, we're going to start a slightly more... Uh, light-hearted series. It might might turn out not to be very light-hearted, actually, but we're going to look at um, children's stories revisited, those Sunday school stories that we only teach in Sunday school, although sometimes they're dreadfully inappropriate when you think about it. Um, We're going to teach those to the adults, so we're going to do Noah's Ark and things like that, you know, that children's story where everyone dies and Noah gets drunk at the end. (laughs) Yeah, good children's story, that. Well done, church. So we have Psalm 98. Psalm 98 that we just heard comes at the end of a series of, of a few psalms that sing God's praise. They speak about how great God is, and really Psalm 98 is the culmination of all those psalms. There is nothing in this psalm other than praise. There is no worry about an enemy. There's no fear There's no concern for the writer's mortality or morality, as there is in so many other psalms. There is just praise. It speaks of the victory of God through and through. There are no doubts or worries in this psalm that God might break through. The psalmist is absolutely sure that God has the victory. and It doesn't mention the psalmist's effort in that victory at all. The psalmist is, is absent. He's not fighting the battle of the Lord and the Lord is on his side. He's just um, just celebrating God's victory. Which isn't as strange as you think it will be. And I think this is a quite prophetic psalm for today. I wrote this series about three months ago and I didn't realise that on the day that I'm going to preach on God's victory would be the day of the British Grand Prix, go Lewis Hamilton, and the day of the World Cup cricket final, go, go England there. So I'm hoping this is going to be prophetic about that the victories in there. But also, I find sport curious. I'm not a great sports fan, I don't watch a huge amount of sports, but I find to be curious about supporting sports is the fact that people will talk about, we won. Their team will have a victory and they'll say, yes, we won the cup, and you want to say, well, actually, no, the 11 guys out there won the cup, You you stood on the sideline and cheered. Yes, I'm sure enthusiastic and loud and joyous support of a a team makes a difference to the team's performance a little bit. But you weren't the people playing the sport, were you? And if you were at home watching it on TV, you definitely weren't involved. And yet we still talk, don't we, about, yeah, we won. (laughs) Not unless you support Hampton and Richmond Borough Football Club, and then you speak less about that. But... (laughs) But you speak about the victory, don't you? As if you won. And this gets this embedded deep into people's hearts, doesn't it? People own this completely. I used to work as a security steward at Old Trafford Football Stadium for a while. I, was, um, my, I, I went to Manchester University, and it was, a, it was just a very easy way to win money because you just sat there for six hours and watched an hour and a half of football. It's not hard. And the first week I did this, they put me in the, the safe space because... I was new and I was very, very skinny and very, very weak. So they put me in the, the family stand. So there's about 12,000 people in this family stand. All of them got, got families. All of them meant to be Man United supporters. And it was Man United versus Chelsea. And Chelsea won 3-0. And the first Chelsea goal went, went, went in. And out of this bank of 12,000 people, right in the middle was one man going, Yay! <laughs> Excuse me, sir, would you like to leave for your, for your own safety? That despite the fact that he knew he was surrounded by 11,999 Man United fans, this man was so invested in the victory of his team, he couldn't help himself when they scored. Despite the fact they had families around him, around them, all the people around him couldn't stand the sight of the opposition been in their midst. Victory becomes quite serious to us, doesn't it? Victory becomes quite serious even if it's someone else having the victory. And that's the story of the Christian faith, is that there is a victory that has been won for us. And we are part of that team, but we have nothing to play in the achievement of that victory. God has gained the victory. We are are part of his supporters club. It says here that God has gained the victory in this psalm again and again. It says God has the vindication. And what it means by that is that God has revealed his righteousness. That his righteousness, that all that is right about him, has been glorified and displayed. And the extension of that is that the world and our wrongness have been shrouded been dissolved in God's victory. Not by our own efforts, but by what what Jesus Christ did on the cross and resurrection. So often we think Christianity is about being on the pitch and playing the sport and getting it right. It's not. Being welcomed into a family. Ted didn't have to do anything to be part of your family. You did all the work. I'm looking at your wife not you <laughs> yes. you did all the work we're welcomed into a family we're invited to take the credit to join in the praise and this is not just a one-off in the Bible it happens again and again it's not by our efforts but it's by the effort of God the Israelites were enslaved and God sets them free and they sing praise to God there's a, there's a sense of them going, yay, Moses' his son and Miriam's son. Yeah, we, we've got the victory. They didn't do anything. They just grumbled their way through the Red Sea. And God God brought the waves down on Pharaoh's army. We'll see in the Magnificat tonight, the son of Mary, that God is revealing his, cre- his new creation in Christ Jesus. His salvation is being worked out in the gift of a baby that you and I don't have any part of. The death of a Messiah that you and I don't have any part of, die in our death. The resurrection that God's Holy Spirit brings up and then that same spirit is gifted to us. Again, a gift we don't deserve, a gift we haven't worked for, but a gift that is available to you to accept. Karl Barth says, faith is the revelation of the righteousness of God that has its life. There is no jeopardy in this story. The victory is not that God wins the battle, but rather that his irrepressible will will not be stopped. We don't sin because our God might win. We sin because he has won. He is winning, and he will have the victory. The breakthrough of his love, righteousness, and power will happen whatever our situation. Whatever our situation, by our own doing... By the pain that we have suffered, through the brokenness we find ourselves in, God will break through into our lives. That's the very definition of grace, if we open the door to him. That's the first three verses done. It then describes, it says, make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to God with a lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the king and the Lord. Sing a new song. It's not prescriptive, though, what you sing. Make a joyful noise. We can sometimes fall into the trap of thinking our worship has to be the very highest quality for it to count. Now don't get me wrong, we will continue to offer God the very best that we can in worship. But we mustn't fall into the trap of believing that's what makes our worship count. What makes our praise count is not our quality, but the quality of our Saviour. It describes a lyre here. A lyre was a four or 6 stringed instrument. It had no fretboard it. It wasn't capable of complicated chords. It wasn't like Alex's guitar that only just about worked, and with, with many different pedals to press down. It was a simple instrument. The trumpet wasn't a finely-honed machine that we have today with different valves. It was just a piece of horn with a mouthpiece attached to it. That you blew a raspberry down. Simple instruments. Spurgeon describes these as complicated music he's wrong. I just read with Spurgeon on this. We will continue to offer the good and best, but this cannot be the end. Our sun praise cannot have a bar of quality that unless we achieve it, makes it acceptable. Otherwise, it becomes about our quality and not the quality of our savior. We need to offer our best. But we also need to learn to be more clumsy and reckless with our praise. To go off the script sometimes. To not have to sing the words exactly as they're written on the screen. To sing how God is speaking to your hearts. Children have come back very early. That's great. As you'll know, I am I love to sing God's praise. Uh, if you're new here or you're a visitor, the thing you have to know is I am Utterly tone-deaf. I can't. i got the musical giftings of a turnip. When I was interviewed for this job, they said, Is there any part of the job you can't do? And I said, Well, actually, I've noticed that the, the priest sings some of the liturgy here. I can't sing. Our director of music said, Don't worry, I'll teach you to sing. No one's really tone-deaf. Give me an hour of your time, I'll teach you to sing. So we had an hour, me and David, him on the organ, press the button, it's in that note, it's in that note. And after an hour, David closed the organ case down and just went, this isn't going to work, is it? C.S. <laughs> Lewis writes in an essay. Before that, I've been always told that just sing with your heart. God looks at your heart, not, not what comes out of your mouth. Um, and I read this essay by C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis says, if you have the gift of tongues, speak in tons. If you have the gift of preaching, preach. If you have the gift of sin, sinning, sin. If you don't, shut up. <laughs> I'm going to disagree with Spurgeon and C.S. Lewis in this sermon. It's not about quality. It says make a joyful sound. No, it, makes, it says make a joyful noise. Let's sin in the shower, people. Let's sin in the car. Let's sing God's praises for our life because it's not about us. Finally. Let the sea roar, it says, and all that feels it, the world and all who live in it. Let the floods clap their hands. Let the hills sing together for joy at the presence of the Lord for he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and his people with equity. The Lord is coming. That is a certainty, it says here. The Lord will have the victory. That is a certainty. It is not dependent on whether the church gathers well enough. This church could be empty, and the hills will sing the praises of God. The sea will roar, the floods will clap their hands. The assurance of the victory of God is not dependent on whether we sin right. It's not dependent on where we find ourselves. It's dependent alone on God. Bonhoeffer, Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, the psalms of that final victory of God and his Messiah, uh, which include these ones. uh, These psalms, they lead us in praise, thanksgiving and petition to the end of all things. When all the world will give God honour, when the redeemed people will reign with him eternally, when the powers of evil will fall and God will rule alone. Perhaps you find that soaring. Perhaps you find that passage a little bit insipid. Kind I'm of trying to find it a bit of both. But know that Bonhoeffer wrote that, Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote that, in Nazi Germany in 1939, when darkness was starting to crowd his world a period where Dietrich Bonhoeffer made the conscious decision to live through. He thought about escaping to America, but he decided to stay and live in a place of darkness where he saw National Socialism and Fascism rising up around him. He wrestled with the Christian response to the political things that he found around him. Eventually, he was arrested. And a few weeks before Germany was liberated, he was hung. Dearship Bonhoeffer died a horrid death. We don't even know where his body is, what happened to his body. He has no grave. He died, died a saint of the church. Read in Psalms. He knew the promise that there'd be a time when all the world will give God honour, when the redeemed people will reign with him eternally, when the powers of evil will fill and God will rule alone. Despite the darkest time possibly in the history of the world, Dietrich Bonhoeffer knew the promise of God. Surrounded by death, Nazis and doubts, This psalm leads us in praise and thanksgiving and a petition to the end of all things when all the world will give God honour. No matter where you are, sin. Sin with freedom because it will set you free. Sin with joy for joy will abound when you sin. Sin. Sin of God's victory, because it's already happened. Songs change us. They change our surroundings, and they shape the world. They remind us of God's truth. Today, there is a promise that God has died your death, that he's risen to new life, and he wants to offer you new life. However bad your situation is, however good your situation, that offer is there, and the invitation is to worship him we do that in many ways but one of the ways we do it is in song so i invite you to sing god's praises because however dark life is we have the promise in this psalm the victory is His, now tomorrow and always amen